out how to do this. Hey, Take man, one it, week it, off. It's been more than a week. It's been like two and a half weeks. This is the longest well, layoff we've had. And yeah, take a week off, which means you know we usually do it once a week. So yeah, a couple weeks. Couple it has weeks, been yeah. it has been a while. Welcome to the Carl Landry Record Club, a music podcast from the rights to Ricky Sanchez. I'm Spike, along with the back home from the road, survived it as far as we can see, Mulu. Welcome back. Yes, good to be back. Good to be back. It's, uh, you know, I'm going to say something right up front, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of musicians go through this. Man, the last few weeks, I was so locked in. I was and There you go. It's like, this has happened to me so many times before, I didn't want the tour to end on that last date. And now I'm getting into what I recognize has happened to me many times, is this like post tour semi depression, like it's depression. this frustration because yeah. you're on the move, you're playing every night, you're traveling almost every day, and and then all of a sudden you're home and you're like, ah oh, man, wait, what's what am I doing now? Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, no one's cheering for me here. Yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I know that's but I know you've had a interesting couple of weeks, man. It's uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you look well, good, you sound good, so yeah, I feel good. I, I had friggin' COVID. We'll get into that. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. talk to you about it a little bit. Um, I, after, after a year and a half of once every two months telling my wife, I think I have COVID and her going, you don't have COVID. Finally, I got to say, actually, I do have COVID. Actually. What, so what was, well, we will get into it, but what, well, we'll get it. Well, she was let's befuddled, I imagine. When you, was that? She was befuddled, she was. I imagine. She was, she was. Our intro music is, uh, is from Marion Hill, who just put out, uh, some holiday music. That I, they saw that. Sitting on. I saw that. I saw that. Holiday yeah. Marion Hill. I love it. Yeah, with with both uh, both of them singing instead of just the female vocals, we get some uh, we get some male vocals some Jeremy. from Jeremy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, check I remember that out. when we talked to them, they have a background in musical theater, as do I. That was a real bonding moment for us because they yeah 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 in high school they were in like musicals and stuff like that. So you know, um, this is a music appreciation podcast where we try to. Um, get you and us and everyone involved to appreciate music maybe we haven't listened to before or maybe rediscover something maybe we listened to years ago by suggesting music to each other that we love, listening to it and talking about it. Every pod, we go through two albums. Uh, Bootloo or I suggest an album each week. We rotate and then we take a listener album. So it is my week. So I selected 1993's Come On, Feel the Lemonheads from the, Levin, from the Lemonheads. And the listener choice is Fallout Boys, Take This to Your Grave from 2003. That comes from Evan Hip, who says in his Apple podcast review, incredible music appreciation pod. I love this pod. Turn me on to music. I would never give a shot. Can always find a song or two. I really enjoy. It was almost as if they wrote the intro for me. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Evan. Uh, to suggest an album, if you'd like to do that, the best way to do it is in the Apple Podcast reviews. Leave us five stars. And then in the review, leave the album you would like to hear. And then uh, grip it, rip it, and move on. If you don't use Apple, go to carlandryrecordclub.com where you can suggest an album and also a full list of all the albums we've talked about. There we go. So Mootloo has been on the road for on and off since September? Yeah, What's pretty that? much uh, since the start of September. I don't know that I was ever home for more than a week and a half that whole time. Uh, yeah. Because we started right around Labor Day. We did the dates with Amos and Boulder. Mm-hmm. Then we're back for like maybe a week and a half. Then we went up to New England. Then back for a stretch. And uh, we did the dates in the southeast. And before long, I went out to the west. It's just been steady since then and uh man it's it's been fun and i have to say it's a moment of maybe clarity or realization something we'd been talking about since we started the podcast we're like oh shows when are shows gonna we're gonna do it can we do it safely and i i figured out a way i think i mean there's always risk in every situation but we went out and did 20 plus cities between amos's dates and our dates and we were able to do it safely and and have a good time and have some fun. I mean, there's the feedback that came from certain people that I would get some cities that they just weren't ready to go to a small indoor club. And I, I totally get and understand that. But it's just great to get out and connect with people again, uh, you, you know, and to sit here a year later from when we were talking last year around this time, not yeah. knowing anything and to be saying it, it feels good. It feels rewarding in a sense, you know. 
Yeah, we started the pod a year ago in the uh, the heart of the pandemic with, you know, we would have artists on who, and you would always ask the question, I, I would always fear when you were going to ask, because I always knew that the answer <laughs> was going to be something that you didn't like, that you would always ask every artist, when do you think shows are coming back? And we would hear like 2023 and right. all these things. And <laughs> artists would say that to you and I would just be like, oh, don't do that to them. Just like lie or something or just, but it it's nice to have it back and you said, you know, I don't I don't say this to minimize the risk of COVID having, you know, just experienced it, but having talking about, you know, there's some risk in it, uh, but you know, the reminder that there is risk inherent in your touring too, you know, in yeah. the in travel, like all that travel, in being in, uh, you know, clubs with people, strangers all the time with, you know, and this is added risk and it is a new risk, but I think, you know, the thing that, that it seems like you figured out and learned and, you know, it's different for every artist and every consumer is how do we mitigate it as much as we can? And what is the acceptable amount of, of risk I'm willing to, to, uh, to do? And I think, I think to some level getting out and doing it puts some of the risk in perspective because I think some of the, at least the COVID risk can seem um, different at home when you're thinking about it right. as opposed to actually being in the middle of it. Do you know what I mean? That's a good way of putting it because for a long time, I was a guy who was scared to do anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like you were always out working, so you had a different perspective from day one. Yeah. But for me, I was scared to go do anything. And then now to look back and be like, oh, I've been on tour for two and a better part of two and a half months, and be like, you know, I think there's a reality we have to accept that this is going to be around for a while. So how can we go about doing things safely? And I think the only way to do that is to try and just accept that little bit of risk. But I will say this, in almost every situation, with maybe one or two exceptions, the venues were great. The talent buyers, yeah. promoters were great about, hey, we want to do a vax requirement or negative test requirement. We want to make sure there's masking requirement. With only one or two exceptions, everyone was on board with that. Because you know what? They want to keep the patrons safe. They want to keep their staff safe. So yep. that I, I ultimately didn't get as much pushback as I maybe thought we would have. Which yeah, because you were you were worried about the South and the Midwest and and that part of it, you know. But like you know, it seems like venues are venues. Like, and to their credit, you know, uh, I, I know there's a, a lot of talk about mandate versus not mandate and all this kind of stuff. Like when you sort of leave it to uh, businesses, in this case, concert venues, to say like, hey, it's up to you to to sort of figure out how to stay open. Right. Uh, to their credit, they're like, well, this this might be the best way to, to do it, you know, yeah. to, to make this last. And I'll say this, <laughs> I won't get into any specifics. I have received angry emails at I'm sure. points yeah. over the last couple of months. Actually, I surprisingly got several of them before the Philly show of people who were upset that there was this vax requirement. And I just, all I, all I can say is like, I don't know how to respond to that and to say, well, you can't please everybody. I don't. Yeah. Want to exclude anyone from the experience, but it's like if you're not willing to to go along with what needs to be done to be safe, then I don't really know what to say to that. I feel frustrated because on the one hand, I don't want to like turn anyone away. Sure, it's a conundrum. But like, I, I there's this one guy in particular who's been a huge fan of mine a long time. I've seen his wife, he and his wife, so many times. I won't again, I won't mention any names, but I think he lives in Central PA. But he's come to so many of my shows. And he not only got upset with me, but then sort of started trolling me a little bit on Facebook. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's like, what, what do you do? Like when you when you make your followers upset, it's a frustrating thing. But that that's just the reality, you know. That some people just aren't going to be on board with it. And I got to say, in, a lot, in some cases, it wasn't us asking for the requirement. It was just the venue themselves doing it already. So, you know, I think it's going to be like this for a while. If you want a tour, it's going to be like this for a while. Yeah, I mean, I can understand if uh, for whatever reason you don't want to get vaccinated. Hey, maybe you, you, I don't think you're allowed to get vaccinated like within 90 days of actually like having COVID. I think that's right, a rule. Right. So, so I'm not saying that, that that is a situation, but that would suck for, let's say you got COVID a month ago and you haven't been able to get vaccinated for one reason or another and you can't go to the show and you want it, you're pissed off and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get COVID. I just got COVID. I don't have it. I have, and, and there's, but like there's always, to your point, you cannot, 
please everyone all of the time. So you have to please the most people the most, most of the time and do what you feel is right. And as long as you're genuine in your response, I think there's nothing you can do. And then the sort of the internet takes over and makes that person, you know, pick a side. That's a whole other conversation as to why they're, they're personally angry at you for that decision rather than just sort of like, understanding, you know, I, I I actually, occasionally I'm heartened by when I'll get a tweet about a decision we made for the Ricky or one of the radio stations, uh, that's something that somebody doesn't disagree with. And I just give them an honest answer. Hey, here's, here's why they do it. And they go, Oh, thanks for the engagement. I don't agree with that, but that's like, it's so, I'm always like, Oh my God, what an amazing conversation. Right. Right. I told them they're still not happy but they understand why I did it and they just sort of move on. And I think, I think most people, everyone you don't hear from understands. Right. If that makes any sense. No, that makes you know perfect what I mean? sense. That makes perfect think, sense, yeah. Think of all the people you didn't hear from about it, who didn't right. say word one about the decision. You know, those are the people that you have to sort of like think about because those are the people I think that you're being made happy, so. Yeah, and, the, um, and there's a flip side of that, that even when you have those requirements in place there's still some people who uh who, who aren't comfortable necessarily doing yeah. this yet where there are people out there like that i've you know I've, I've heard from some of those people and it makes you realize that it all it all puts something in perspective i kept thinking of this not to be too corny or cliche but like have gratitude for the opportunities you have you know yeah feel gratitude for the opportunities you have because i feel lucky that we got to go out and do this you know, mm-hmm. w- w- for the first time, uh, I broke, you know, sort of started to get a foothold in some markets on my own that I hadn't before, like Chicago and Austin, had great shows in those places. And if anything, this was a productive tour because I feel like I mapped out more. And I'm just thinking like, well, a year ago, I, was, I wasn't even considering that we could even do this. So it's mm-hmm. like you got to take a step back and just say, no matter what the trials and tribulations, it's good. Like we're, we're a big step forward from where we were. I, I think we can say that, you know? Yeah. And you know, you, you said that some people aren't ready. If you weren't a musician, you probably would be one of those people. I would be. You know, I, I was. You know, I maybe if, even if, still yeah. am to some degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, if I remember correctly, I, I think a turning point for you was when Delia had her surgery. Right. Not to overshare. Just, no. And course. you actually had to go into a hospital. Right. Right. And I, I remember you getting back and you were like, oh, like I can there's a way to, I can do this. Like I can do this. And it was like your first step into, and you know, the other thing that, that I'm sure you were insinuating this by, by talking about it, but I, a huge thank you to like every venue worker. Yes. When you, when you say yes. the venues, like the bartenders and the, the bouncers and the ticket takers Everyone. and the, you know, the people who clean up, those are the people who are in the thick of it. Yeah. Every you know night, what I mean? every show. Every night. Yep. 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 So th- thank you to, to all those people as well. Uh, and you mentioned, like I finally bought concert tickets. I bought my first concert tickets since COVID. Wow. Now the shows aren't until May. Okay. But, and I might <laughs> go to a show before, I, I may go to a show before that, but I bought, there was a, a US tour announced for Gang of Youths. So I bought tickets for Brooklyn Steel in New York in May and the TLA in Philadelphia. Oh, double May. double header, double header. Yeah, yeah, Man. I'm going hard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should yeah. be, I should be, I should be able to catch COVID again by then. <laughs> I think May. So I, I really want to go in hard and try to get it again. You are Mr. Antibody now, man. You're <laughs> yeah. you're you're Mr. The, as I said, the Spike Eskin delivers mega antibodies. Mega antibodies. All right, why don't we? Talk about a record, maybe talk about a little tour, a little COVID, and then talk about another record. Okay? Sounds good. You wanna do that? Yeah. Why don't we just do Lemonheads first? We'll do my record first. Go for it. From from ninety-three, come on, feel the lemonheads. Just a curiosity, were you, I, I have to imagine you're aware of this band, given your, your age and 90s music affinity, right? Yeah, aware of Lemonheads, aware of uh, Evan Dando, but once again, a band that I only had like a passing interest in. Mm. So it was interesting to do a deep dive. Both of these records we're discussing today are like that. General awareness, yep. 
but this is the first time I've actually taken real time with it. You know, sometimes the two albums we do are far apart in the world. And then there are sometimes like, I remember when we did the Gaslight Anthem, 59 Santa, and Damn, Damn the Torpedoes, they seem to fit together for right. some reason. These albums seem to fit together. I, 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 the pop sensibility, the sort of like inherent humor in the lyrics, yeah. the, you know, there's a, there's a lot, I think, similar to, to the, the punk influence even though it's poppy, I think there's a lot of similarities. It's to sort these of a two power records. pop uh, thing mm-hmm. that, uh, well, Fall Out Boy's 2000s, but a sort of sensibility that came out of like kind of late 80s, early 90s that is still yeah. very prevalent to this day. So, yeah, you're right. There is a thread. I didn't necessarily think about that, but yeah. when I think about these two albums, there is. There's definitely a thread there. Yeah. And, and a write down, the Lemonheads are. For a you know Butch Walker guy and, yeah. and love Matthew Sweet and those sides right down the middle. Heavy Gen just X, like, heavy Gen yeah. X vibes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, just the dripping in Gen X. So Lemonheads, a band from Boston, who at at this point you know who have been around for it's crazy like thirty five years since the the mid eighties, but at this point basically just associated with Evan Dando, the singer who is the only. You know, by by the 2000s was the only original member left. So he is the Lemonheads for for all intents and purposes at this point. They formed in the mid 80s in in high school at a, a school called the Commonwealth Wealth School in Boston. Tiny. I went to a tiny high school, a tiny private high school. Episcopal was much smaller when I went. There were 100 people in the graduating class. I think in the four-year high school, there were only like 150 people at the Commonwealth School, which is amazing to think that three of the original members of Lemonheads were all in the same school. So it was Evan Dando, Ben Didley, and Jesse Peretz. Um, They start there, and then Dando actually went to college, went to Skidmore, and they he dropped out, and they sort of like... At that point, they were the Lemonheads. I think they were called the Whelps before that and just focused on music after he dropped out. And they signed with an indie label called Tang Records and put out three albums. And this is, you know, this is the late 80s, early 90s, and I think sort of a golden age of college radio, which is when they, where where their heart was, was college radio. And that's a lot of where 90s all, Late, you know, 80s and 90s, all grunge, all that kind of stuff grew in, in the college radio scene. And Lemonheads were a band that, when you think about what they sound like, sort of roots in punk music, but just a, an over, just overwhelming pop sensibility, that college radio seems like a, a perfect place for them to grow. When yeah. I, and I have a question, because you know radio in an in-depth, like firsthand way, but from the outside looking at it, when you think of college radio, it's exactly what you're saying. It's it kind of the way we think about it is the eighties, right? It's that phase of the mid late eighties. And then it's interesting because around the early nineties when AAA radio started. And I feel like it was those people who left college, yeah, who who got older, had families, got jobs, they then pivoted towards AAA sort of mm-hmm. adult album alternative, but it was the same people, right? That's why there's yep. always this sort of overlap with the two, although they are two separate formats, but it was just those people in the 80s coming of age in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, that's a really good point. And AAA is a weird form. I mean, for anyone listening who's not deep in the radio or music industry thing, AAA is a pretty widely defined format oh, yeah. in, in that if you're from Philadelphia, WXPN is like AAA. Yeah. And when you think of WXPN, it is incredibly like uh, eclectic and sort of up to the DJ as to what to play. And, you know, the most they play any song is like three times in a week and, you know, that sort of thing. But then on a, and and WXPN is a non-commercial station, which means that they don't, uh, they are on, they're under what, 91 or 91.9, whatever it is, under 91.9 on the dial, which means that they are not, you know, they're not a commercial entity, they're a non-commercial entity. But then there's the commercial version of AAA, right. which is sort of like super soft alternative. Yeah, like, it's always, KBCO in Denver, if you're familiar with that yep. station, or uh, XRT in Chicago. Yes, but which is a little more eclectic. More and rock-oriented, I think. Yeah, right? yes. 
Well, and Chicago is a very rock town. So a lot of these stations are reflections of the cities they are. So yeah, you know, uh, XRT has always had its heart. In a, in a lot of ways, I think that that uh, that XPN does in like this classic rock Zeppelin sort of, right. you know, like th- that's the heart of it. But then there are others that I think you could say, well, if I was to give like a three song combination, like I always say like, Times Like These by Foo Fighters, Pete Yorn, hmm. like, you know, Amos, you yeah. know, is like the triple the A, you know, the commercial triple A world, it seems like is, is just sort of a cool, soft, you know, nothing too grinding as far as like sonically, that's what AAA is. And that's, that's a good point that co- the college radio people became AAA people. I had never thought about that. Yeah, and it's that's interesting. There are artists like Amos, like Pete Yorn, uh, like Jack Johnson, who have yeah. broad appeal to both the non-com side of AAA and the commercial side. So they're Correct. embraced right. by the entire format. Yeah. So... You know, in the beginning of the Lemonheads, it was Dando and Didley who were the the creative force. Both wrote songs and were both singing in the band. And Dando, after the third record, actually quit the band and joined Juliana Hatfield is somebody I've mentioned a bunch of times. I feel like we should do one of her records at some point. But Dando and Hatfield, like Juliana Hatfield was in the Lemonheads for a while. Um, Dando joins Juliana Hatfield band called the Blake Babies. And what was interesting is a Lemonheads cover of that Suzanne Vega song, Luca. Mm-hmm. You know, my name is Luca, lives yeah. on the That was kind of her big, biggest hit, right? Or that was her yeah, breakthrough so, hit anyway. So they covered it and that Lemonheads cover starts to get traction so he rejoins the Lemonheads, <laughs> but Didley quits the Lemonheads, and then they get signed by Atlantic. So they put out, their major la- label debut is called Lovely, but it came out right as grunge was happening. So n- it, it really doesn't do anything. It really sort of dies on the vine. And then another cover, which was their cover of Mrs. Robinson. on their next album, It's a Shame About Ray, comes out, I think, like sort of as, there was a transition from grunge to like post-grunge, which was when Lilith Fair got big and there was some normal like alt, uh, you know, actually Butch Walker's band Marvelous 3 was in that time. And Mrs. Robinson gets traction and sort of spurns the release of this to be, of Come On, Feel the Lemonheads, to be their biggest charting debut album ever. It hit 56 on the Billboard album chart. This, this album, I think, is, is a, I think it's given a lot of credit historically. There are plenty of people who know this album, but I still think it is underrated and underappreciated for what it is. It is, sometimes you you talk, you specifically Mutlu, talk about songs that have like more than one hook in the song, like the whole Mm -hmm. song is a hook. Right. That's how I feel about this album. Like from the minute you start listening to every single one, almost every single one of these songs, I think there are some duds toward the end, but the minute you start listening to the first like 10 songs in this album, the verses are catchy, the choruses are catchy. The songs are so quick. They're like three minutes. And they are, they, they sort of go from, there are some songs that are a little bit more guitar driven and harder where you hear the punk influence to then there are songs where you can hear some like, like Big Gay Heart where there's some like, hmm. you know, I don't know if that's lap steel or, or slide guitar in there so or whatever. Where like, like the alt country kind of yeah, place. Yeah, like it is, it, it has so many, influences in so many different parts of so many different genres. You don't really notice at first, I don't think, or if you're sort of a casual music fan, because the songs are just so instantly catchy that it almost seems like a trick, that there's not depth to it. And I think there are like there's a ton of depth to this from the the snarky sort of 
almost condescending lyrics sometimes <laughs> that he writes, which which I think are are great. I'll just give a, a couple of a couple of songs that I think are the best example of the album, and then we can talk about it. And the the first single was "Into Your Arms," which is which is again a song that the hook is the entire song, you know, like because that the title of the song, which he does a bunch of times, is repeated throughout the whole song even though the title of it isn't, sometimes isn't even in the hook. <laughs> so, Into Your Arms, the first song on the album, which Juliana Hatfield sings on, called The Great Big No. I think is a an amazing, amazing song. My favorite part of the song, I don't know what this is called. Is it called like the breakdown? There's a thing three quarters of the way through the song where the song sort of stops down and he sings, everyone knows everything. Everyone knows everything. I've got no one to go to. And it's just... It's not the chorus. It's not the pre-chorus. It's not, it's not a bridge. Verse. I mean, is it, yeah. is it technically a bridge? But it doesn't feel. Like, I know that part of the tune. It doesn't feel like a like a classic bridge, right? It just and it's it, just stripping the, some of the excess of the track away, basically. Correct. And I, I think his voice and Julianne Hatfield's voice, which are have been are, are a lot together and they've toured together, go together so perfectly. And I think that is a, a great song. The most punk influenced song on this is "Down About It." Which, again, is another song. Another song in which he says, "Down about it," fifty times in the song. The hook itself does not have that line in it, <laughs> but the entire song is a very. I think you can hear Ramon's influence in that a lot, and then the other two that I love, "Paid to Smile." Good to see you. Such a great song. So it is sort of a song, I guess, about like idol worship a little bit and being a rock star, which I think is funny. Now he actually had success at this point. We talked at one point about Kid Rock writing only God knows why before he was even famous or before he was even- He willed like, himself about, into fame sort of, or he put it out right. there in the world and I guess it happened. Right, like his wanted dead or alive, but before he had done an arena tour or anything. <laughs> um, there's so many great lines in Paid to Smile. The, the one I like best is, would you really say hello and let me carry my own guitar and please don't hold the door. I can work the handle on any car. It's really not that hard. <laughs> that <laughs> like, is great. That is great yeah. lyric writing. I mean, he he is a great lyric writer. I, I think. Oh my God. And he's not, you, I, I'm quoting you all the time here. These aren't joke songs. Like he's not kidding, right. but he, he does sort of in the same way that uh, the, uh, what's it called? Uh, the band that opened up for Brand New that I love. Um, oh, the Front Bottoms. Yeah, Front Bottoms. The, the front bottoms have like a, you know, a write things with a sort of a wink and a smile. And the other one, a song that I wonder, that could never get released now, I think, just because of the, the title of it and the, the chorus. But if you understand what he's saying, it's very funny, is his favorite song on the album is Big Gay Heart. And uh, the chorus is big gay heart, please don't break my big gay heart. Um, I, I think the lyric writing in this are is amazing too. 
Um, I think in the, this the, day the, and age that the in, like you know what the intention behind the song is, right? Correct. But in yeah. this day and age, it would be completely misconstrued, and he would be answering questions constantly, trying to explain what he what he meant. Right, <laughs> and I don't. I think it's pretty clear that this is, you know, it's a colloquialism that is not really used anymore in right. the same way when you say, ah, you know, my big gay heart, like really just meaning that you're sensitive is, is really what, what he's trying to say. And that's how people talk back then. I'm not, not excusing it. I don't want to go through the whole thing. I think everybody knows that we're nice people, but his, the, the lines in this that you love, either way, you got a bone to pick. Can't you leave that to somebody else? I don't need you to suck me up my dick or help me feel good about myself. <laughs> Is it like just a an all timer? <laughs> you know what's interesting about him too is like uh, there's an economy to the way he writes. Like w- when you yes. look at the lyrics on the page, he's not verbose at all. He he no. gets to the point with the fewest possible words, but it, but he's just so effective. That that is, I think, is from a songwriting standpoint, that is one of the most difficult things to do. Can you say it in just a few words and just drive the point home without? overextending. You know, there's the other side of that, which is the Dylan side where he would write 10, 10 verses and it's like, it's like poetry, right. but he, he's the opposite. He's, he's like a pop songsmith because he, he gets there with such economy. Yeah. Like the, the anti-hurricane or, or right. whatever exactly. this, this song is. Exactly. Like even later on in that song, when he, it's just two quick lines. Why can't you look after yourself and not down on me is like, is a, Great line. Right, is a, is a great line. Do you have to try to piss me off because I'm easy to please? I think is a, he has a just, just incredible, I'm really disappointed that I've never seen him. He's done so many like small solo shows at places like the uh, Rest in Peace North Star Bar, like the North Star or, or places like that. That's where he'll go and play. And I've just had so many opportunities. I've never done it. He struggled with drugs a lot in the 90s, was like famous, had like was addicted, I think, to crack at one point. Damn. And the fact that he made it through it to the other side, if I get the opportunity, I'll Where I'll would he again. play was now, it? do you think, in, in Philly? Or even in New he York? Would, he would do... Like I think two or three hundred, like Cedar. You know, like he almost he some of the do same the... rooms that I'm playing on. Like is he yeah. playing kind of the similar mm-hmm. circuit? Well, see, my depending on the market, I'm anywhere from very very small, like hundred seat to three hundred. But I, I think he would be the same way. Like he would be upstairs at World Cafe, which is what I did. So he's pretty playing the same circuit, basically. Give yeah, or take. yeah. Would he I play think Eddie's he show in Atlanta. Do you know that? That's the, that was the last show of the tour. That's a like famous listening room. I wonder if he would go there. I, I somehow feel like he would play bigger rooms, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's not always easy to have a like a perspective on that. I did a lot of talking there. I'm curious as to your your take on the record. No, I, I really liked it. Here's what I'll say first thing, broad stroke. Mm-hmm. This is an album that you have to listen all the way through. Yeah. You will miss a lot about it if you don't give it the full chance. And I think it speaks to what you said as to it being sort of underappreciated because I understand why, because it's a record that, like you said, it's, it almost tricks you into thinking it's one thing and it's really this other thing. If you just take the first half of the album, it's more Mm -hmm. in that like power pop kind of thing that you recognize. Yep. But then you get, okay, so you get later in the record, uh, there's Mm -hmm. a song style. Right, oh, which is, yeah. <laughs> I love that song. Now, but then there's something that happens with that song that is totally unexpected. That song has it's like about midway through, and it gets a little more of the punk rock energy. But then there's a <laughs> reinterpolation of it towards the end, yep. Rick James style. Rick James style, yeah, and and that has got to be one of the most unexpected cameos in the history of American popular <laughs> music. I mean, wait, oh, that's Rick James, and it's only like a yep. minute or a minute and a half. It's, it's a, a real Rick James. I mean, who would? I would never. I love Rick James. I would never put Emmett Nando and Rick James together. I would have never. I couldn't even picture how did they cross paths, and then how did they decide to record? Yeah, how did this happen? Were they in the same studio together, and Rick James just popped in? And it feels like that. The song feels like he just drops in, 
and that's that, you know? <laughs> yeah, it feels like they saw him in a different studio yeah. at the same place, and they were like, wouldn't it be funny if? If I just or maybe up on this dude. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go ask Rick James if he if he'll do this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it and yeah, the, I, it's so, the song sounds like that. Like it's mm -hmm. it sounds like they just jumped in and did it. It's like okay, thanks, man. You know. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I, I I do agree that there's it does come across as like sort of the classic power pop. Not easy to write, but like there's a million of, of those sorts of albums out there yeah. that if you like that kind of music, there are. But this one separates itself, I think. It really does. And I, is Juliana, Juliana Hatfield is singing the backgrounds with him or duetting with him throughout the record? That's her voice. No, so so actually uh, Belinda Carlisle is on uh. one of them. So Juliana Hatfield is on, on uh, some of them. The Belinda Carlisle one is, hold on, let me just make sure. It's I'll Do It Anyway, which he, which he wrote for her to sing. I believe, uh, if I, wait, hold on. And I gotta Do say, it. that is my favorite song on the record. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I'll do it anyway. And he wrote it for her to sing it with him or whatever. And her her voice complements that song perfectly. Perfectly. I love the sentiment of that song. You'd have heard this concept before, this thing of the message being that, you know, follow your muse no matter what. Like, you know, mm -hmm. no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, keep true to who you are. It's kind of a general sentiment you've heard in a lot of songs, but the way it's written in this song is just really very compelling. And the way they sound together, the way, yep. and, and that's a song that's just big hook after big hook after big hook, you know? It's, it's yep. and, and I love all the moments. So I guess the rest of the tunes are Juliana Hatfield. There's yeah. something about him singing with these great female vocalists that is just so satisfying. I almost wish the whole record was that when I was listening yeah. to it. Cause he, something about he has this sort of a, like mellow kind of upper baritone that mm -hmm. when you put singers like Belinda Carlisle or Juliana Hatfield who have this like real clarity in their voice, it's just magic. There's just magic in that. Like I would love to hear just all duets, Evan Duando, Evan D Duando, <laughs> Evan Dando, all duets with you know either Juliana Hatfield, Belinda Carlisle, or any female vocalist that has that kind of timbre. You know, he his honestly he reminds me he has like a Jim Morrison thing to him yeah. sometimes too, I think, in just his, in his delivery and the, the, like where his, his voice is. Yeah, they've toured a bazillion times before. Um, and I, like to think that I love both of them and I've never just gone to see them is really just an indictment on me as a music fan. <laughs> like, <laughs> but so it's timing it, sometimes though, right? I mean, it's not always, well, you know. I just, sometimes, like these Gang of Youth shows, uh, there was a presale for them. Their album's coming out in February. And if you pre-ordered the vinyl, you could pre-sale buy the tickets. And like I've said before, I buy vinyl to support artists. I don't fucking want vinyl, but I bought it so I could pre-buy the tickets. And I'm looking at those concert dates and I'm like a Tuesday and a Thursday, Ooh. weekdays. Ooh, I rough. hate <laughs> going to concerts on weekdays. I even considered taking vacation that week so I don't have to have anxiety about staying up late. Like that's, my guess is the reason I haven't gone to these shows is that they were on weekdays. And I just, I was, the idea like, I, I would just be too tired was, it would be my, in my head, why I wouldn't do it. Yeah, working in radio, I mean, you're up five in the morning. I mean, that's, that, yeah, that's a tough deal to go to a show and, yeah. You know, and 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 then you're just you're you're just cooked the next day, right? You're just you're just you go that yeah, whole next just, day in this like haze. And now I'm getting older. It's even harder. Mid forties, jeez, <laughs> getting COVID, all that kind of shit. Man, so, man trials yeah. and tribulations. Yeah, but I got to so, say, there's another tune yeah. right at the oh, end yeah. of this that is even more unexpected, if that's possible, than the Rick James cameo, which is the last track, the last official track, Jello Fun. Yeah. And it's it's this really beautiful <laughs> instrumental avant-garde piano piece. 
I'm like, yeah. where did where did this come from? Okay, one thing, right. Rick James shows up. At least it's a reworking of another song, and you can kind of it's fun, and he, it's it's just kind of almost an interlude. But where did is that him playing the piano? I don't know. I, I would assume so. I mean, but I don't know. That's almost like into like a Thelonious Monk kind of territory. <laughs> yeah. It's like where that is the biggest curveball of all, and the fact that he, it comes at the end, it just goes to the point of, ah, it's, you know, what it's it's a, I can make a. Look at it from a bigger societal musical standpoint, a commentary on how we absorb music now, because we're always, it's so singles heavy and that's just what streaming has done. And yep. and I think it makes it difficult for a record like this, it would make it difficult for a record like this to, to connect even more than maybe it did at the time it came out, because you said it was kind of overlooked. Because this is, you can isolate songs from here like I'll Do It Anyway, but you won't get the full scope of what he did with this album unless you go all the way through. And not even there, but then you got to wait for the hidden tracks, which there's some interesting things that happen there, you know? Which is, by the way, the hidden tracks is such a 90s thing. Yeah, that and it makes you wait like three or four minutes too. <laughs> yep, like it was before you could just look at your phone and see the length of the song and go, oh, like there's something else here. Like right. nobody does this anymore. <laughs> so finally, Tool would do this, final, like and the, the final track listed as 15 minutes and then there's silence and then there's, you know, hidden tracks, which is like uh, high speed idiot mode. I think one of them is called, which is, which is, you know, a very 90s thing is the hidden track, I would say. Yeah, this is, this is really a, a, one of the thing, one of the person he reminded me, you said Jim Morrison, but on songs like Style, he kind of reminded me of Mark Sandman from Morphine. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, Similar kind I hear of that as well. Barit- yep. Smooth baritone style of singing, and uh, and they're kind of at the, around the same time. Is there something mm-hmm. '90s about both those bands? I mean, it, yeah. it, it, this record holds up, but it, it's so it's so '90s. It's so Gen uh, X. Yeah. It it has yep. that attitude, that spirit, that energy that is is of a specific time. No question. By the way, just to point out the difference in from not that we don't know there's a difference between 1993 and 2021, but Big Gay Heart was a single. Wow, that's well, yeah, that that would not that would not work right now. Again, and it's 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 you know what his in, when you listen to the tune you absorb yeah. it, you know what his intention is, but that just right. wouldn't work as a title. No. And no. you know that's uh, that's an interesting that's 30 years. A lot has a lot has changed in that time. Yeah. Is that is this a ten mutlu or grip it rip it mutlu for you? No, this is ten mutlu. Ten mutlu. Great. And you said Our, there's duds at the end, but I love the last part of the record where it gets. Yeah, weird, it's just you know, it, it is. Maybe duds is the wrong thing to to say. It gets it. It starts going all over the place. It's yeah. not really. It's not that. It feels like very coherent, almost like a Green Day record. The first nine or ten tracks right. in that, like, just you know what you're getting and then all of a sudden it it spaces out a little bit. Our if this is the first time you're you're ever listening, our rating scale is a 10 Mootloo record is an all-timer. Grip it, rip it and Mootloo <laughs> is I liked it, but I probably won't listen to it again. Um, grip it, rip it and move on is I listened to it. I f- maybe I I f- Found something. It was fine. You I know. like it, but I won't come back to this record. I like, and then there is "Stay Free, My Goose," which is nah. rarely given. Rare. What, what was the? But wait, wait, wait. I can't remember. What was the band? You, uh, you and Jason are, always talk about this band. We are we are buildings. Is that the life name without of the band? buildings? Or? Life without buildings. Yeah, right. That is a, a "Stay Free, My Goose." We we did early on. <laughs> so I wanted to get. Just real quickly, because I don't think it's like worth an enormous rehash, but I do want to hear about, you know, maybe a couple of your favorite moments from the final leg of your tour. We mentioned I got COVID. When was I diagnosed? I had a positive test last Wednesday. It is, we're recording on a Sunday now. So it was like right. two a week Wednesdays and a half before. ago, I think. A right? week and a half ago. Started like, and we had joked, if you listened to the pod before that, right. I was joking because I was coughing. And I was saying, it's not aller- it's allergies, it's not COVID, and talking about the allergies or COVID game, which previously in my life had always existed before COVID, it was allergies or am I sick? Right. And what would happen sometimes is my allergies would, would cause sort of a, um, like a head cold or a, a, a nasal infection or a sinus infection or whatever. So I was, I'm used to that game and not being like 
worried about that game. And I had been playing that game for several weeks before I had COVID. So it did blur the line of when I was sick. But what I could tell you is when I returned home from work on Wednesday, I can't tell you what was different. I just knew something was different. A feeling, like a physical feeling, or even just deeper than that, you knew something. It was just something in my gut. I was like, something's wrong. And I knew... I knew I was gonna test positive. I, I was so sure I was gonna test positive that I didn't wanna take a test because I didn't wanna deal with it. Uh-huh. Like, because at that point, it just felt like a cold. And I was like, I'll be fine. Like, this is what, I, I didn't do this. I, I'm just, I'm being honest about my feelings. What starts going through my head is, everyone around me will be fine. Everybody's vaccinated. Like, you know, I would go to work with this cold. My boss asked me, he's like, hey, prior to COVID, would you have just gone to work with this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. But I I got home from work and I have home tests. We have a bunch of them at my house just in case. Yeah. Um, because, you know, sometimes the CVS gets booked up, might as well have something at home. And I didn't want to do it because I knew it was going to be positive. Oh, and I do it and it's positive. You took the and antigen like, test and it was positive. Yeah. Yeah. And then I do it again. I, I take another one. I'm like, man, I don't know. I, the line is maybe a little blurry. Uh, and I'm like, I'm like, oh no, that one's positive. And I like, I call my wife and I'm like, I just, on the way to urgent care, like the one urgent care that's still open. And it's like 8.30 at night at this point. I call my wife on the way and I was like, I just got, I told you I had COVID. And she was like, you always say you have COVID. And she's like annoyed at me because now her life, so she was in Philly at the time uh-huh. and she had been in Philly since Monday because now her life was messed up because she had been at work and she's staying with her parents who are in their 60s or whatever and she might now have COVID. And she's like, she, she won't admit to this, but she's like a little annoyed with me that I have, I probably have COVID. Oh, and she's like, she's like, maybe you don't have it. So I go to urgent care and they do, and I gotta give this urgent care. I wanna give them all the props in the world. Care Station Urgent Care on Route 22 in, I think it's officially in Union, New Jersey. I've seen them four times since testing positive. They made me schedule follow-ups. They made me, or not made me, but they asked me if I wanted to get the monoclonal antibody infusion, which I did. They were great, absolutely great. So I get there and she tests me. And I, I knew, not that I didn't have respect for doctors and frontline workers, but I'm going in there to take a COVID test and everybody in the whole place is like, cool. Right. Like they're not, they're not like treating out about me. It or, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. they're they're not treating me like 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 they need hazmat suits. Right. You know, everybody's right. got their everybody's respectful of space, but everybody's got their mask on. So he does the swab, comes back, and she she comes back. The doctor, she's like, so it's positive, and I'm like, fuck. And she goes, um, this is, I give her credit. She's like, you're gonna be fine. She goes, I'm gonna prescribe you a Z-Pack with antibiotics. And I guess they do that sometimes to prevent a secondary bacterial infection Mm, that can happen at times and ibuprofen. And she said, go home, quarantine. She's like, come back for a follow-up in two days. She's like, here's your option with the antibody infusion. She's like, people are having relief from this if you wanna get it. Um, And I would say the next, it just felt like a cold midday Thursday. It hit me pretty hard. Felt like more like a flu. Like I got the the like sort of body aches and yeah. at, and my head was chills, pretty bad. You the chills too a little bit. Or? Did not get chills. Never had a temperature. Wow. Never had like a a, a problem breathing. Um, never. I, saw, I know some people are having like nausea and stomach issues. The only time I had nausea is that my my head hurt so bad that like when I would stare at things. Right. Like I would almost look like to a do migraine email. kind of feeling. Yeah. yeah. So I just stopped working, like and stopped looking at email and stuff. And then Saturday and Sunday, I was really tired and I still had the cough and the congestion. Like I slept, I think 16 hours, probably both days. And then Monday I got the antibody infusion and I was already feeling a little bit better, but Tuesday I felt normal. Uh, and I lost taste and smell two days into it. I think Saturday, which let me tell you, Moot, you can understand intellectually what losing taste and smell feels like, but it's really weird when it happens because you don't notice it at first. I was eating an apple with peanut butter, which I eat all the time. And I was like two pieces in and I was like, you know what? I can taste that this apple is tart, but I don't think I taste it. 
And I went hmm. over to a bottle of bourbon and undid it and stuck my nose in it. Obviously, that would wake you up. Right. Didn't Couldn't smell, smell it. it. Couldn't smell it. Not at all. And have you but regained it? Now. Have you regained it? Yeah. 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 It usually and goes I, back in about a week so, or so, I think, right? From whatever. Some people, it's quickly. Some people, it's a few weeks. Some people, it's a few months. It just seems to be different. So that was my whole experience with it. I'm fine. I was vaccinated twice and got a booster and still got it. So just like be careful out there. Uh, but I I ran this morning. I'm fine. Like okay, I, okay. I feel, yeah, I feel I feel totally normal. My advice would be, it, it seems different in every place who they offer it to. Some places that antibody infusion is only for high risk. They offered it to me at urgent care. So I took it and I it felt like it really made a difference. It's basically just like lab made antibodies, the same antibodies that your body produces for with the vaccine. It is like just a, a rush of lab ones, um, lab created ones that apparently keep the virus from like attacking your cells. It's best if you do it almost right away, I guess. That's but what I've heard. I didn't, yeah. But so. You took so it a few days in, right? You, you, you took I the, did, yeah. I did. So I don't, if, if I'm being honest, I don't like know what it did. I do know I felt much better the next day, but I might've felt much better. I was already starting to feel better. So I might've felt that way anyway. I do know, I, I said to the doctor, it's funny, everything gets like, so. there's so much like weird shit in the media and news, like you don't know what to believe. It was nice to act, talk to an actual doctor. And I said to the doctor, it was a different doctor at this time, after my follow-up to the infusion two days later, he asked me how I was feeling. And I, I looked at him and I was like, I think the antibody infusion like works. And he just looked at me. He was like, yeah, it definitely works. He goes, <laughs> he goes, it's just the antibodies that he's like, it's just like an artificial version of the antibodies that your body produces to fight the virus. It's like a lot of them all at once. And it, it makes you feel better. He goes, a lot of our people have felt relief doing it. Like there is no question in his mind that it definitely works. And, it and that was did, like, because in a day yeah. it made a big impact, right? I mean, there was a market difference I think, between the two days. Yeah. I think, yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny. It's like they make you sign a thing because just like the vaccine, it is, it's like got emergency FDA clearance right now. So they make you stick around for an hour after you get the IV just to make sure you don't turn into a zombie or something. And, um, but I, I felt fine afterwards. The only time I felt lightheaded was because I'm a fucking baby and they put a needle in my arm for the IV and I, like, I almost passed That's out. That's like more psychosomatic in a way. Correct, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so that's my, my COVID, uh, experience. So well, I'm here glad I am you're feeling better, man. You, you look yeah. like yourself, you sound like yourself and I, you know what? It was a little, it was eerie because we had just, you had, you had just deliberated on this, the last <laughs> yeah. podcast we recorded and we had a pretty extensive yeah. conversation about it. We've had others and then like, I forget where I was, but it was, I think it was like a, was it a show night or no? I think it was actually the, a night off. And you send me this text, and it's like in the battle of uh, allergies versus COVID, COVID wins. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. that hit me, man. That that shook me up a little bit. And, yeah. uh, but when you said that your lungs were okay and you weren't feverish, I thought, okay, this sounds like the arc of, of a mild, like you'll have symptoms, but it's mild. And yeah, I would say similar to the flu in... Like when I had the, I've only had the flu once, which by the way, I demanded that my wife take me to the ER when I had the flu and I had never had a flu shot before. And after that year, I've, I've had a flu shot every year. I'd never want the flu again. The flu hit me harder, oh, yeah. but it was, but it was faster. It was only two days with the flu. This was like, you know, because I really started having symptoms probably this Sunday or Monday before the Wednesday, but it was so, it was so shadowed by the allergies that I didn't know what was going on. And it wasn't until Wednesday that I really felt that there was, that I knew that there was something wrong. It was just longer. It was longer than the flu, but yeah, I didn't have any problems breathing or anything. And, you know, and, and I never had a temperature. My highest temperature I think was 99.1. And cause most time, which is a little elevated for me in fairness, my temperature is normally like in the low, low 97s when I take it. So it was a little elevated for me, but that was only a day and it was late in the day, which I think your temperature is higher late in the day than it is earlier. So I, and you know what I'm going to do here? I'm going to make a call. Mm. We're going to move Fall Out Boy to the next episode. Yeah, because we're like an... It's so yeah, weird. I just literally 
had the thought that you were going to maybe do that, and you, it's weird. I'm just, it's instinctive, yeah. man. We're, the synergy is, is profound, I have to say. So the, the headline of this one's going to be Mootloo Returns from the Tour and the Lemonheads, and we'll move Fall Out Boy, because I want to hear about like your last few tour yeah. dates, and we only have like 15 minutes left yeah. before I got to do the Ricky. Right, so. right, right. So, Good call. So Good less call, COVID, less COVID, more Mootloo. So... So do you have like a, you, you were, you had mentioned over text and you mentioned earlier that the last legs of the, the last leg of the tour was, was really a standout. Do you have, was there one date or one moment that you can sort of dial into or was it that, that you were feeling better about it? What was the, was it the crowds? Was it like, what was it that made it better? If I had to pick one standout, it was Austin. Okay. Uh, this, this place called the O4 Center. Uh, the guy Todd, who is the talent buyer slash promoter, is awesome. He's a former musician. Just the moment you walk in, it, I love this. Like, because, you know, I play the kind of rooms that you're saying Evan Dando plays. I play listening rooms. You know, those are the mm-hmm. rooms I need to play. And I had a thought, actually. The rooms I play are similar to comedy clubs. Because when you're oh, a guy yeah. with an acoustic guitar, yeah. you, you're looking, you're trying to make the same kind of connection. You can't yep. just go up there and play your song just like you can't go up there and just tell your jokes. There's got to be more to it than that. And yep. and that's the thing of, you know, telling stories about the songs, you know, getting silly a little bit with it, finding ways mm-hmm. to, to to engage people well well beyond the music. The best rooms, the rooms that afford me that opportunity are the rooms where I thrive. And this place, the O4 Center, it's like a conver- converted church. And okay. he books great acts there. And he's just... He's a talent buyer slash promoter who's very hands-on. I love that when you actually meet the guy who's running the place. And mm-hmm. from the moment Dilly and I walked in, it was it was such a great vibe. The audience was just locked in, such good energy. And he was already talking after the end of the show about bringing me back and really helping me build up Austin. That's a market that's always been elusive to me. It's a tough market to to get going unless you find this kind of situation. Because what? No, I, I would Austin. Just as a, I've never been there. It just seems like such a music forward place. Yeah. Why is it hard to get like a foothold there? Or why is it hard for you, do you think? I think because it's sort of, it's not as heavy industry as Nashville, LA, but it's a it's one of the best music cities in the country. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of lot going on there. So you're always competing with a lot. And Got I think it. unless you find the right room, like I've now found, which is... Just which is a really rewarding experience. The show itself, the sound, the sounds like when you, if you, you know, convert a church space, it, the acoustics are built in, and then yeah. their sound system is amazing, and uh, it was just everything about it was great. And to talk to uh, this is important for me, is to have the relationship with the with the promoter who's running the place who's invested and then he becomes or she becomes invested in what you're doing and they they say to you like look want to build you back you know we want to build you up here we want to keep bringing you back we're going to find different support acts to put on with you i mean we just we were already game planning that's uh, great you know and now it's like i have a foothold and i will say i think we i don't know if we talked spoke i can't remember where i was in the tour but chicago i had a similar experience and this place hmm. called uncommon ground they have two different venues yep. i think i'd once played the other one in Edgewater, uh, in a snowstorm. So that was kind of a mulligan. But here I played the one they have in Lakeview, which is a cool part of the city. And again, same thing, very intimate listening room. The guy who books the room was there. We made that connection. So I think for me, it's like I realized something. It's got to be the whole package of the experience, the the show, the connection to the audience, the vibe of the people who work there. And then if the people who are running it really connect what you do musically and to you personally, then you have a foothold in a market and you have a you have someone who you can work with to build the market and i've had that in atlanta for a long time that was another great show uh the last show of the tour uh, eddie's attic is one of the great listening rooms uh so many people started there john mayer the indigo girls all these atlanta acts zach brown they all played there you know getting started and some of them still come back and play so but i, I yeah this weird epiphany that hmm, what, what i do with this just me and a guitar and you know, if I if I have a support act, I'll do a seventy-five to ninety-minute set. If I don't have a support act, like in some situations, I'll do two sets. I'll do two fifty-minute mm-hmm. to hour-long sets. And it's all about making that connection to the audience. And the reason I was frustrated the tour ended because like I I hit such a rhythm 
Mm. you know, in the last like week and a half, you know, just, I was so locked into the show. I, the arc was there, the, the rhythm of it was there. And it takes you a little while to find that. You got to play and play and play. Just like comedians, you, you hear them talk about, they got to work out their bits. They go play comedy clubs. And once they get to that hour and they're locked in, that's the magic. And I feel like I found that magic with my show. And now it's over. I'm like, oh man, I'm just hitting my stride, you know? But I, if I had to single out, I'd say Chicago, Austin, and Atlanta, and there's also a really cool place called the Evening Muse in Charlotte that I played. Great listening room. Okay. So, yeah, it was just, it was nice. We finished strong. There were a couple rough shows in Dallas and Houston where I just played like loud bars. And as a guy with a guitar, I don't know, it seemed like appropriate because, okay, we're in Texas, and Austin is like an oasis, a cultural musical oasis in Texas. But the Dallas Houston shows were rough, as I kind of almost anticipated they would be. Uh, but it was it was just it was good, man. The last stretch of it was really satisfying. The thing that you mentioned about the the venue being invested is that you know, like this whole thing is like a uh, the infrastructure is the wrong word I want to use is like a like it's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. And it's if the 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 venues need artists that will succeed at their venue so they can have more nights that are full of of consumers. Yes. And it's very it's nice to think that there are tons of touring musicians that will fill up every room. But the problem is when, you know, a place like Austin where there's probably a lot of rooms and a lot of competition to get those sort of guaranteed, you know, ticket sales right. for artists that will come through. And by the way, you have to pay higher guarantees for those things, which means that there's more risk on the the venue's part. Actually finding an artist and saying, the venue saying, look, there's something here. Right. And this guy's not a guaranteed few hundred tickets now. Right. But this this was a nice, you know, this was a, a nice showing for somebody who doesn't have like a, a large base here. And he did a great show and he's a good person to work with. We're going to work on making this successful. So, you know, we have an artist who is has allegiance to us and we can have another night maybe once or twice a year. And like, you're just sort of like checking those boxes. What artists do we have that can fill up our room right. and and keep it all going? And that it's, it's nice to see that happening. And it, it's why some artists feel an allegiance to certain rooms when they go to certain places. Um, you know, like there's a, a huge sort of almost monopoly, like maybe a duopoly between AEG and and Live Nation at this point, oh, where yeah. like, you know, like the most of the rooms, especially bigger rooms are those. But in like, in these sort of situations, that's really, really important for, you don't think about that for the venue. You're just like, well, book, book artists, they can definitely draw. And you're like, well, there might not be enough for that whole city right, to, right. to support all of those venues, right? So they have to be invested in your success as well. Yeah, and his thing is, he gave me an example. I forget the group he mentioned. They were a group that somehow ended up touring, uh, I think with Brian Wilson. I forget their name now. <clears throat> but similar thing, like where the first time they came through, they did reasonably well, but it wasn't a packed house. But the audience mm-hmm. that was there loved it, and he kept bringing them back, and now they packed the place. And it's like a 250-cap room, you know, but he gave me an example. Like I just love, you know, people like promoters, talent buyers who are just invested in it. And it made sense to me at the end of the night. He told me he's a musician and he used to tour. Yeah. So he gets yeah. it. He gets what matters to the artist that he brings in. Uh, and uh, this guy, Todd, at O4 Center. So it's just a really – is a nice feeling when you walk away feeling like, okay, I got my spot in Austin, got my spot in Chicago. Like, you're right. I'll always have allegiance to those rooms now. No question. Yeah. So – uh, it's a, when you can build together, that's how you succeed. It, it doesn't always feel like that in every market and every venue. Sometimes you just feel like you're on your own, you know. And that's, but when the venue's hands on and when they want to work with you and build with you, that's the path to success. That's the path to building your audience in that market. Yeah. Well, congratulations on a successful tour. So, what is the, you know, it's November now. What's the plan for you, like over the next six months or year? Or do you, I know you were, were you working on a record? Do you have a record? Like, where where are you? I'm gonna probably record a single, and I'm gonna probably do a few singles and build towards an EP for later in the year. Okay. Uh, cool. So, probably record a single in January and maybe another one shortly thereafter. Kind of roll those out. And the plan is, I don't think I'm gonna do as as extensive a tour as we did on this one, but mm-hmm. but there are some markets like Chicago and Austin. 
uh, and a few others where they want to try to bring me back maybe late spring, early summer, uh, wherever the timing works out. So I'll probably go back and do select dates, maybe hit a few of the markets that we didn't get to. So probably more like short runs, spot dates, but I'm going to get back out there as soon as I can. So hopefully this time around, I'll have like new music and uh, not hopefully, definitely. I'll have like a new track or two to go out and build those dates and then hopefully build, build, build momentum towards an EP or even an album if it comes to that. I don't want to, you know, everything's fluid now. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you know, there's a single here. A single, look what Gang of Youth has done. It's taken a year for them to put this record out, right? Yeah, and the, the, last, the last record was 2017. Yeah, and they've, you know, like they've changed plans a couple of times. Right. There was a single, then they canceled a tour to go finish the record. Like, right. it's like a whole thing. There's, By the way, I did make label contact with Warner about getting Gang of Youth. I know I've done this a bunch of times. Hey, man, like, keep trying, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, got, I, I got a response from Warner about getting Gang of Youths on, oh, so I, I think maybe that would be cool. It would be cool for the, for the Carl, I think. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So fingers crossed. So, well, congrats on the, uh, on the successful tour. Thanks, brother. And uh, getting home safely and hopefully a bunch of happy fans that also got home safely. And we will get to Fall Out Boy next pod and a Mootloo album next pod. And uh, thanks for listening to the pod. And sorry we weren't there for a week. If you're a, a regular listener, go catch up on old ones. Um, that's all we got. See you. Stay free, my goose. Stay free.